It was well past midnight and all I wanted to do was go to bed. But I was in the middle of one of those arguments with my wife that started with something small, maybe even insignificant, and it had ballooned to cover almost every topic in our whole life. It went from probably a miscommunication on my part to talking about laundry and who makes the bed and dish towels and trash and financial questions and how this was all gonna impact our future children. I just kept thinking, how did this whole thing start and how do I get out of it? What do I need to say to end this argument so I can just get some sleep? And so I figure I'm just gonna start apologizing. I'll start apologizing for everything. I'm sorry that I said this. I'm sorry that I didn't communicate this well. I'm sorry that I'm breathing right now. Can I just go to bed? But you know, she's on to me. She knows that this is not a genuine, authentic apology. And so you're just saying that, Thomas, so you can go to sleep. And she's right. I mean, I would say anything at this point if I could just go to sleep. Have you ever been in one of these arguments? I mean, where it covers everything and you're like throwing the kitchen sink at each other, not hypothetically, but actually talking about the kitchen sink because as we know, the dishes don't stay in the sink, they're rinsed there and placed in the dishwasher as every young 24 year old male knows. Have you ever been in something like this, an early marital argument where you find yourself in a conflict and wondering, how did this happen? What started it? How does this end? Where is it going? And maybe it's not a marital argument. Maybe it's this argument and conflict you're having with your parents. Maybe you're a kid and you're having this ongoing conflict with your parents that just seems to keep coming up. Or maybe you are that parent. You keep having this argument with your children and they just don't seem to get it. Or perhaps you're having an argument with your roommates and it just keeps bubbling up and they just don't get it. We're always fighting about these same issues. See, these conflicts, I think, happen in a wide range of arenas and spheres, in the home, in the community, at the workplace. James is gonna be talking about it as it explodes within the church. But the principles I think are the same for us, is what is it that causes these quarrels and fights? That's actually the, the question that James asks. Here in James chapter four, he asks this rhetorical question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among us, among you? What, what's the source of it? It's a rhetorical question, which he's going to answer. Now, this is in the flow of a teaching that he's already had. And the broad spectrum of the book of James is that James is concerned with not just being called a Christian, but how does one be a Christian? How do we live as Christians? And so this is going to apply to every sphere of our own life, especially in how we treat or fight with one another. This is also flowing from a teaching that he's had on the use of our words, our tongues. He said the tongue is a very powerful organ of the body. Though it seems insignificant, it has a lot of control of the body. It's like a bit in the horse's mouth. And your tongue can actually have dominion over your whole life, control over your whole life. It's like a rudder, James says, a small piece of the boat, but it actually controls the direction of the ship or the direction of your life. And not having control over these small pieces, the bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder of the ship can have devastating consequences. Not having control over your words can actually destroy your life, can actually kill things and bring death to your life, James has said. And then he goes on to talk about how the Christian though, 
knows how to use their words in a wise way. And he contrasts two wisdom. One he calls the worldly wisdom and then heavenly wisdom. At the end of chapter three, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Another rhetorical question. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness, the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's what the, the earthly wisdom is. I would, I would call it this way. You're wise in your own eyes. You've developed your own sense of wisdom. And your wisdom is has a bitter jealousy and selfish ambition to it. You're the centerpiece of your wisdom. And that, James calls, is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile or evil practice. So the outcome on the other side, the equal sign of worldly wisdom, of the wisdom that puts self-interest and jealousy at the centerpiece of it, the result, James says here, is disorder and every evil practice flows from that kind of wisdom. But he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest, what's on the other side of that equal sign, what's produced from the heavenly wisdom is righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so the worldly wisdom, the outcome of it is disorder and every evil or vile practice. Heavenly wisdom in our relationships and how we use our words, the outcome of it is peace and righteousness. So in the flow of this conversation, he then continues to talk about the quarrels that we have and, and what kind of wisdom are we entering quarrels with? So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, at first, this question just seems ridiculous. What causes quarrels? It's not what, it's who. See, I'm not, I'm not an angry person, but the other people make me so mad. It's not a what, it's a who. I mean, my kids, oh my goodness. They drive me crazy. I mean, we were in the supermarket the other day and they're not behaving. They're not listening. They're touching everything. They're making me so mad. And of course, I blew up and yelled at them. It's not a what, it's a who. Have you met my wife? Have you met my husband? I mean, they drive me crazy. It's the person I work with. It's my coworkers. It's my neighbor. Right? I'm, I'm not a quarrelsome person, but people make me so mad. And we think about all these relationships that we're put in. Relationships with our siblings, relationships with our parents, relationships with our neighbors, our coworkers, the people we attend church with, and we didn't get to choose any of them. It seems like a lot of them upset us. But then there was one day, one day, it was the most magical day, there was this one person I mean, she was amazing. She, she didn't make me mad. She made me laugh. I loved being with her. She would never upset me. We never fought. And so we decided we would get married. Finally, I found the person that doesn't make me upset. And so I married them. What's crazy though, is this is the person I fight with the most now. In fact, some of the worst fights have happened with this person. 
And so even if I choose them or don't get to choose them, there's something else happening. So who is the what that causes the quarrels and the fights? Well, James is gonna tell us it's us. Who's the common denominator in all the relationships that seem to make me mad? It's me. Maybe, maybe you do this, grab, grab your phone and turn on your camera and swoop it over, switch it over to the self front facing camera and just take a picture and then open it up and you found them. This is the one that causes all the fights and quarrels that I'm in. That's what James is saying. Look what he says in the next verse. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James is gonna take the source of what causes the quarrels and fights in our life. And he's gonna say it's within us. It's within us, literally in our members, in all of the faculties of our bodies, in the passions that we have, the desires that we have. And some of these are, are good desires, but I think he's pointing out that these are actually unrighteous, unholy desires. Parallel passages in 1 Peter, where Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. There's something inside of us that's desired. It's our cravings. It's our wants. And this is the root source. It's in us that's causing quarrels and fights, such hostilities in our relationships. Now, James's primary concern of here, of course, is the church, is the quarrels that are happening within the church. But if I'm the source, then I am the source of fights within the church, the body of Christ, and I'm also the source of the quarreling in my marriage and in my community, in the workspace. There's something within me. So what does James say that's happening within my desires? Verse two, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So what he's saying is, there are these passions inside of me, desires, wants. I'm looking out in the world and I see what other people have, and I want those things in my life, but I can't have them. And so he says, okay, look at this. this look at the strong language. You desire, you want, and you do not have, so you murder. Like you kill people for this. You desire... And you can't, you're sorry, you covet and you cannot obtain. Covet me like you want what other people have that's not in your life. I want what they have. I want the life that they have, but you cannot obtain it, have it. So you fight and you quarrel. What's James saying here? Maybe simply put is this. What causes quarrels and fights among you when I don't get what I want? I mean, that's it. I mean, that's kind of what you told your two-year-old, isn't it? Like, why are you fighting? Because I'm not getting what I want. Because my friend or my sibling has my toys, because they have something that I want and I don't have it. I'm upset because I'm not getting what I want. That's the bottom line. Now, to some degree, that's simplistic and embarrassing. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, Thomas, it's not that I want all this stuff, these lavish experiences, these lavish gifts. 
I just want what has been promised to me. Like they told me I could have this and now they're not giving it to me. I just want what's promised. Or I just want what they should do. You understand, like a mom or a dad, they shouldn't treat me like this. I just want what they should be. They should be this mom or this dad that cares for me or loves me. Or maybe you're looking at your kids and saying, I don't want them to be perfect. I just want them to behave. This is what they should be able to do. I just want what's owed to me, Thomas. I mean, I've purchased it and then they, 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 they shipped it to my house and then it was all in pieces. It's not exactly what I ordered or not on the right time or it's not the right product. And it's, I just want what's owed to me. I hear you. Those are desires. But I think the bottom line is still the same. What I want is what they promised me and I'm not getting it. What I want is what they should be and I'm not getting it. What I want is what is owed to me, and I'm not getting it. The bottom line is the same here. What's causing quarrels and fights is I'm not getting what I want. And so James is specific to point out that the source of all our disputes is actually within us, within our members. And then he says, okay, you, you covet, you, you desire these things, you can't get them. And so then look at your reactions. You murder. Now, you got to ask, are, are there people in the church killing each other in James's day? Or is this hyperbole? Like, is this a, a rhetorical device of exaggeration to say where this could lead? I don't know. Jesus says you harbor anger within your heart. You've already committed murder. We look at history and we see that families have murdered each other because of things that they want, political power and persuasion, prestige. I think if we just are honest with the biblical narrative from start to finish, we see godly people do all sorts of ungodly things because of the desires in their heart. Think of the very first family in the Bible is, is the family of Adam and Eve with Cain and Abel. How did that one go? Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Well, I think it's because he's living accord to the world's wisdom, selfish ambition, and jealousy of his brother's offering to the Lord. And what was on the equal sign of selfish ambition, living according to the wisdom of the world is disorder and every evil practice. The apostle John records this event for us. In John chapter, first John chapter three, when he says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. He was of the evil one, the worldly wisdom that's earthly, demonic. And why did he murder him, John asks? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. His deeds were the outcome of selfish and jealous ambition desires, things he wanted that he couldn't have. And his brother, Abel, he says his brothers were righteous. What's, what's the righteousness? What's, that's the outcome of heavenly wisdom, right? And so you have this contrast from the very beginning of two, one that's living according to the wisdom of the world and one that is living according to the wisdom of, of heaven, one that produces evil deeds and disorder and death, and one that produces righteousness. 
And so we have here, I think, the ability to say, or at least the conclusion to say, people have the ability when they have unmet desires to commit murder. I might put it to you this way. When I don't get what I think I should, I can do things I know I shouldn't. When I don't get the things that I think I should, I can do things that I know I shouldn't. You ever like tell yourself, I'm, I'm never going to lose my temper with my kids again. You ever tell yourself that? And then you're all packed in at the car and, and they're just horsing around. They haven't said thank you for anything. And as they're fighting, you just start yelling at them. Because what do you want? I just want some peace and quiet. I just want them to behave properly. And because you're not getting what you want, you do something you said you wouldn't do again. And I think this can just escalate in our lives. Whenever we don't get what we think we should, we can begin to do things that we know we shouldn't. This is the power of unmet desires in our heart when we keep ourself as the centerpiece of our life. And so James then turns this corner and says, okay, let's look at this next piece. Where, where should we be going to have our desires met? He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Like I don't have my desires, my passions satisfied because I'm trying to get them satisfied in all the sources of the world. He's gonna unpack this later in the chapter. I, what, what the reason I don't have is because I don't ask. I don't ask God. God is the source of satisfying the passions and the desires in my life. Here's Psalm 107. The psalmist says, Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Like they're just in the, the wilderness, the desert, and they're just looking for a city. What does a city provide? Safety, security, provisions. See, finding no way to dwell to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, the psalmist says, their soul fainted within them. Like they're trying to meet their own needs. But then in verse six, it says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Like you don't have, because you don't ask. And in the middle of all of this, then they turn to the Lord and ask the Lord. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble. It says, and, they, and he delivered them from their distress he led them by the straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For, listen what the psalmist says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Do you believe that about God? That he desires to satisfy us. He desires that he would satisfy our thirsty and hungry souls. The famous quote from Augustine is, our souls are restless until it finds its rest in thee, in you, God. See, what causes all these fights and quarrels? You have these passions and desires, and you don't have what satisfies these desires, these passions, because you don't ask. You don't turn to God and ask the Lord. You're looking for satisfaction in all the sources in the world. And so the first thing he points us away from is the self-centeredness. Now he's pointing us to the God-centeredness, like ask the Lord. But he, he kind of puts a clause on that. He says, you ask and you do not receive 
because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Okay, so like, okay, I'm gonna ask God. God, would you give me? And then you just go through your laundry list of desires of your heart. And then like, those things don't show up in the mail. They don't show up in the driveway. Everybody doesn't get perfect in the house. And you're like, see, God doesn't answer my prayers. And James is saying, no, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Like there's a way to ask. And when you hear ask wrongly, you're thinking, okay, well then tell me the right way to ask. Like, did I rub the genie bottle wrong? So what's the correct way to ask God so I can get what I want? See, who's the centerpiece of those prayers still? Is it not me? Like, teach me how to pray correctly so that God will give me what I want. And he, pull, he calls us out on the carpet here. He says, you ask wrongly, and the way that we're asking wrongly is that we're asking to spend it on our own passions. We're asking God to give us things so we can spend it. The, the way that James uses this word spend in the negative is the same way that Jesus has used it in the prodigal son story where he has told that there's a son with a, with a great father. The father is, is loving and kind and wealthy. And the prodigal says, I don't want you, father. I just want your stuff so that you can give me, give me my inheritance, give me your wealth so I can leave you and go spend it on my own passions. See, James is saying that that's the way that we come to God. We're asking for God's stuff, not for God. And God's saying, why would I give you something that wouldn't satisfy you, but really just separate you from me? You see, I think it was put really well by David Nystrom when he says, we can't ask for the right things when we're asking with the wrong motives. Like we don't know what to ask for because our motives are self-centered, not God-centered. And so what is the solution here is to come to God and say, God, these are the desires of my heart. I know that you are the good father. Would you be willing to satisfy them? I want you, Father, to satisfy. I don't want your stuff to go spend it on another source. I want you to satisfy my desires. Now, to leave us as practically as possible, let's talk about some of these quarrels, these fights that we're in. How is it that we should engage the next quarrel that we're in? Because the goal is unity and peace, especially amongst the people of God. But I want that for your marriage. I want that for your family. I want that for your community. And so how does the wise one think about their words when they're in the middle of a quarrel, knowing that they're, they're not the centerpiece, that their own selfish desires and passions aren't the centerpiece of the conversation? Well, I think first and foremost, the next time you're in a quarrel with somebody, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your roommate, maybe it's your parents, Start by saying this, the reason we're fighting is because I'm not getting what I want. This is what I want. And just to be as honest as possible, the reason that we're fighting is because I'm not getting what I want. I know it sounds really childish, but it's worth at least setting the foundation, the grounds for the conversation. And then what is it that wisdom teaches us for our words and how we engage? Well, look at the characteristics of heavenly wisdom. It says, First, it's pure. Like we should strive for purity in our life. The sense is blamelessness. Like most of our fights should not be about our failures. It shouldn't be about trying to cover up or excuse our failures. But even if we do fail and that's what causes the fight, that we should be pure. What's the pure response to that is, is apologizing 
asking for forgiveness, admitting you're wrong, being humble enough to do it, then it's peaceable. See, peaceable is the exact opposite of selfish ambition. Peaceable has the relationship in mind more than trying to be right. You're concerned for the other person, your relationship staying in harmony more than showing that you're right. So be peaceable, then gentle. What are the words that we're using? We should not be using harsh words, harsh tones, name calling, having a character assassination, but we should be gentle with the one that we're in conflict with. Then heavenly wisdom is open to reason. Open to reason, that, that's listening skills. You have to listen if you're going to reason with another. So we're so bad at listening. Most of the times when we're in conflict, we're not listening. We're just reloading. We're just reloading the ammunition, waiting for a break in, the, in their you know, conversation so that we can just unload again. But open to reason is asking questions, clarifying questions. Did you mean this? Did I hear you correctly? Would you say it this way? Do you think I understand what you're saying? Listening helps us to be open to reason. This is full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve, right? So you're compassionate. Even if they're in the wrong, you're not blasting them. You're merciful. And these good fruits are produced. Love and concern for the other. In the words of mercy, you rarely use absolutes. Meaning when you say, you never do this. You always do that. That's not merciful. That's not producing good fruits. Then he says it's impartial, right? There's no prejudice or favoritism in our conversations, in our quarrels. And then lastly, it's sincere. Sincere is not simply giving lip service or trying to manipulate the conversation. It's being genuine. Bring your genuine self into the conversation. See, the heavenly wisdom should guard us. That's what we should aim to be. Why? What's at stake here? What's at stake is the community of believers within the church. How do we talk to one another? How do we reason with one another? How do we have conflict with one another? And then what's at stake is so many of our families and the communities. Is that James saying, what causes the quarrels? It's rooted, the source is in us. But even if we have that, we should then direct it towards the Lord and say, God, these are my passions. I'm trying to have them fulfilled on all these other sources, but would you satisfy my passions? And then when I find myself in conflict, I want to be using the words that come from heavenly wisdom that removes me as the centerpiece and puts God as the, at the center of it all and the concern for others. That's heavenly wisdom in the midst of our conflict. God is the centerpiece and we have concern for others. Let me just pray for us. As I know we'll be in conflict this week with somebody. May we be people of the word as God describes us to use heavenly wisdom to deal with today's hardships. Father, I pray for my friends. I pray just for a self-awareness of their own desires. What is it they really want? What's behind the fights and the quarrels that they're having? And Father, I pray that you would draw them to you, that you would satisfy the desires of their heart. And then Father, I pray that you would give them the courage and the humility to act out heavenly wisdom in a way that brings harmony and restoration to the one that they're in conflict with. It's the name of Jesus Christ that I ask. Amen.